So, what's your name? Cat got your tongue? You must have another. Are you going to try for a different life? Toast? Toast, we've talked about this. Please don't join the Jellicles. They lure you in with their catchy songs and promise of your own preposterous name, but trust me, you're so cute, you will definitely be chosen, and quick as you can say syllabub or jelly lorem, which are the names of cats in the movie Cats, they'll be pushing you into a hot air balloon bound for the ozone layer. And I do not like frozen toast. It's better fresh, but also a bit of a necessity right now because I want to keep bread in the house, so the freezer is really a smart place for it. Okay, I can meet you halfway. If you want your own song, I'll see what I can do. Ready to talk about cats? (coughs) Welcome to Ineffable, a Cats movie podcast. This show is meant as a cozy exploration of the deranged motion picture that is 2019's Cats, like the first rays of golden sunlight warming your face when you step outside after weeks in quarantine, and you're so blinded you trip and faceplant in the dirt. I'm your host, Joel Arnold, and with me is my co-host, Toast. Before we get into the meat of the episode, or as Jenny Anidots would say, the crunchity head of the cockroach, I want to give a shout out to a couple podcasts I've been on that if you like this show, you'd probably enjoy. I went on these alone. Normally, Toast and I are a package deal. We are a team. Uh, But we also have separate interests. He likes to go on podcasts and talk about topics like the fridge and why is it so cold, the ball in the circular track that makes a really interesting sound when you paw at it, whether you want to eat human food or just sniff it, and I like to discuss movies. Which Toast does too, cats mostly, entirely. He falls asleep for everything else. A couple weeks ago, I was on the B-Side, which is a podcast from thefilmstage.com, which focuses on movie stars and filmmakers' B-Sides. Not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones they made in between. I got to discuss Kira Knightley and four of her B-Sides, Domino, The Duchess, Never Let Me Go, and The Aftermath. And I had a great time talking with Dan Mecca and Connor O'Donnell, who are so thoughtful and funny. And their show is coming up on 50 episodes. So if you listen to and like my episode, check out their list of actors they've covered and see if there's one whose lesser movies you want to learn more about. I also wanted to mention The Mixed Reviews, which does a deep dive into a subject like a genre, filmmaker, or actor, profiling their history or career and putting their movies into context. If that sounds dry, the show is anything but. Gavin Mevius and Louis Rendon, who host it, bring so much energy and have some pretty priceless chemistry. And I think the best thing is they don't assume your knowledge and make their topics very accessible. I went on last June and talked about Chris Hemsworth, one of our finest Chris's, who can do more than just Thor, including being savagely handsome, uh, but also in acting. Like the B-side, the mixed reviews has covered so many actors, so if you see one you want to learn more about, go for it. I got into the show listening to their episodes on Viola Davis, Rachel Weiss, and Michael Keaton, which also features our first episode's guest, Christy Puchko, so I'd recommend those. 
I also want to say thank you for your patience with this episode getting to you. As I'm sure is the case for a lot of folks right now, I'm finding it challenging managing my mental health. And with my particularly perfectionistic anxiety, I struggle a lot with procrastination. So for some reason, getting this episode done seemed impossible. But hey, it's not. We're here. And on that note, something useful for me right now has been trying to acknowledge that the normal standards we might set for ourselves, whether they're for work or fitness or creative projects, would be unfair to apply in a pandemic. For me, those standards are often unfair anyway. But right now, everything's harder, whether we're directly or indirectly affected in so many ways. It can be overwhelming. So personally, I'm trying to work on stepping back from self-judgment, practicing kindness, and remembering the idea that whatever you're doing to get through this is enough. That's you doing your best. And that's okay. Am I a little nervous being this vulnerable on a podcast about the movie Cats? Maybe, but it's my podcast, so I can do what I want. We can talk about mental health here. And now, we're going to talk about Francesca Hayward. So there was a lot going on in the first trailer for Cats. Think back to July of 2019. Let your memory lead you, if you will. It was the first time we saw cats with people faces, sets that rendered performers cat-sized only some of the time and often smaller, and many impressive names. Oscar-winning director Tom Hooper, Tony Award-winning choreographer of Hamilton Andy Blankenbuehler, EGOT winner composer Andrew Lloyd Webber, and after cards boldly announcing the names of the all-star cast, there was introducing Francesca Hayward. My guess is, if you looked at the performers with the most screen time in Cats, you'd see three names that most of the general public probably wouldn't have heard of. And that's a shame, because Francesca Hayward, who plays Victoria, Robbie Fairchild, who plays Monkus Trap, and Laurie Davidson, who plays Mr. Mistopheles, I think do some of the best work in the movie. And they're definitely worth knowing outside of Cats. Though it is weird to watch them in interviews after being introduced to them in this movie, and now see their ears on the sides of their head instead of on top. So, to get you and me better informed about these three performers, I'm going to profile all three. And this episode is your primer for principal of the Royal Ballet and star of Cats, Francesca Hayward. Francesca Hayward was born in 1992 in Kenya and moved to West Sussex, England at age two. She says at that early age, she remembers watching a video of The Nutcracker her grandparents showed her that inspired her interest in dance, and she attended her first ballet class at age three. At age 11, she began training with London's Royal Ballet School, and in 2010, she joined the internationally renowned company. Her breakout role with them was in The Nutcracker as Clara, which gained Hayward critical acclaim for her technical skill, energy, and engaging acting. London dance critics generally described Hayward in her ingenue roles in Romeo and Juliet and Alice's Adventures in Wonderland as bright, instinctive, and uncalculated. She also played the title role in Manon in 2014, when she was praised for giving the tragic figure a seductiveness and ruthlessness that critics hadn't seen from Hayward before. In 2016, she was promoted to principal, the highest and most prestigious level in the Royal Ballet. Principals typically perform in lead roles and those that are the most demanding. 
When it comes to cats, Hayward told The Telegraph that among the videos she watched of ballet as a child, one of her favorites was the original production of Cats, and she mainly skipped to Victoria's White Cat solo because she was drawn to her signature ballet dancing. When the opportunity to audition for Cats came up, Hayward said she felt like she had nothing to lose when being a principal in the Royal Ballet had already been her biggest dream. She auditioned, and with a call from Tom Hooper, she was cast. In the stage production, the role of Victoria is dance only. She doesn't have any lines and certainly isn't the protagonist. So the film version is far different. Hayward said she was excited to give the character more depth to fit the expanded role, which became the spine of the story when Victoria is introduced to the Jellicles as a cat newly abandoned and on her own. She's taken on this journey by these other cats. She has to quickly decide whether she trusts them, whether she wants to go on this journey. And I think there's a real turning point in the film where she actually realizes that this might be where she's always meant to be, actually. All that I wanted was to be wanted. Too young to wander London streets alone and haunted. That moment was captured in Beautiful Ghosts, one among a few songs Hayward sings in, and one written just for the movie. Something to cling to. Andrew Lloyd Webber said when he read the screenplay and saw how Victoria was positioned as the audience's way into the world of the Jellicles, he decided she needed her own song. He wrote the melody and with Taylor Swift wrote the lyrics. Hayward has said her only experience singing had been for fun, so she worked with coaches who helped her develop her voice and gain more confidence. very, very surreal for someone who doesn't sing, you know, has never sung in public really, apart from at school or at church, <laughs> to um, suddenly be singing to Jennifer Hudson, um, singing with her for a few bars, and to have a song created for them by Taylor Swift, and also to have that song sung to them for the first time by Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, it's just been phenomenal to hear the talent that they have, and also to witness Taylor's ability to actually write a song, like lyrics and, and the melody, and to be in the same room as Andrew Lloyd Webber, working with him, it's just been extraordinary. So I'll dance with these beautiful girls. Hayward took seven months off from the Royal Ballet for rehearsals and production of the movie. In an interview with Classic FM, Hayward said the environment on set was more relaxed than her usual high-pressure experience of live performance, but that filming required more stamina. The process of filming involved capturing several angles of the same scene for multiple takes, meaning dancers would be repeating the same movements, and for Hayward, doing so in longer days than she was used to. These days were also made longer because Hayward continued her ballet training in the mornings before shooting. Hayward also said she found the experience rewarding seeing so many dancers from different styles and disciplines working with each other and learning from one another to create something special. Three months after production wrapped, the first trailer with visual effects dropped, and we saw the digital fur technology in action. 
Hayward was among us reacting and said in an interview with W Magazine that it took her a few seconds to process, but she loved it. She appreciated how much the visual effects honored the work the performers did on set and how it enhanced it with elements like tail movement. At the time, there were also some truly stupid reactions online to the choice to cast a biracial actress as Victoria, a traditionally white cat, which is astoundingly dumb. But there was also criticism that a woman of color was presented in white fur from people upset that the visual effects masked Hayward's natural darker skin tone. This comes in the context of regular whitewashing of roles meant for people of color and a visible trend that favors lighter skin tones. Katz is somewhat inconsistent on this point. We see most of Taylor Swift's face in her natural skin tone as Bumblerina, while the same is true of Jennifer Hudson as Grizabella. Neither role is written with a specific fur color like Victoria, named as a white cat, but McCavity's song describes him as a ginger cat, and we see his skin tone. And of course, Old Deuteronomy, played by Judy Dench, had never been played by a woman up until now. So, speaking as someone who is not a diehard fan of the musical, it's unclear to me why Victoria had to be a white cat. Why this was sacred. It doesn't seem like it was a malicious choice, given the diversity in the rest of the movie, but it's very disappointing, especially given that Hayward is one of few women of color performing at a high level in ballet, which is mostly a white world. I can only imagine it's frustrating for people of color wanting to see themselves represented, and it's unfortunate that we don't see Hayward's own skin tone in her debut leading role. Hayward herself addressed the comments and said she is sensitive to the issue, but doesn't see it at play in her character's fur color, that she's playing a cat who has white fur. Following the movie's release, despite the disappointing box office and negative reviews, Hayward seems unfazed in interviews and maintains a sense of humor about how bizarre people find the movie. The dancers and performers apparently have a WhatsApp group where they share the funniest memes and comments about the movie. Overall, Hayward said she hoped the film would inspire more people to dance the same way she was when she saw ballet on video when she was young. After Cats wrapped, Hayward performed with the Royal Ballet to critical praise in Capelia, starting in late November 2019, and then in Onyegin at the beginning of 2020. I have to say, I really enjoyed reading so much ballet criticism for this episode, something I would not have done otherwise. And I just want to read from one review of Capelia that struck me while doing research. Sarah Crompton for The Guardian wrote, in this, as in everything, Francesca Hayward is a picture of utter charm, making dancing look as if it is the most natural way to communicate. Hayward is about to become very famous as a star of the film version of Cats. This was before the release. If you want to see her in her natural element, head for the opera house. She's one for the ages, a dancer who can take the ballets of the past and make them live for today. Now, we can't all head to the opera house unless we're in London and living in the past or future at the moment. But what I liked most about reading these reviews is how they rendered in specific, beautiful language the depth of Francesca Hayward's talents in these roles, because Cats is just one vehicle for her art, and definitely not the fullest showcase. If you're interested in seeing more of Hayward, there are plenty of clips available on YouTube from various performances, including several with her in The Nutcracker. And late last year, Hayward starred in the ballet film Romeo and Juliet Beyond Words, which tells the classic story of star-crossed lovers entirely through dance. It's currently available to watch in the UK, 
and hopefully we'll get a U.S. release soon. So that's Francesca Hayward, or Frankie, to her friends. Two fun facts that didn't fit in anywhere. She apparently is a big fan of Schitt's Creek, big Moira fan, and in 2018, she collaborated with Lululemon to design a dancer-oriented collection. If you want to learn more about her, she's really charming in the press interviews she did for Cats. Just Google Francesca Hayward and you can see her dance and talk about dancing. Now, enough about people. It's time to announce this week's featured cat as I make the Joe Local Choice. Each episode, I highlight a spectacular, one-of-a-kind, thoroughly lovable cat and talk to their person. This week, I am speaking with my friend Michael Seigen. Mike is also from Michigan, he's a professional editor here in Los Angeles, and he's a podcast buddy. I do the Dungeons & Dragons comedy podcast D&D&D with him and a few of our friends, including his wife Beth, who we mentioned when we talk all about his good boy, Ricky. Hey Mike! Hey, how's it going? Good! I'm really excited to hear you talk about your lovely cat, Rick. Oh yeah, well thanks for having me. Yeah, um... Where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, well, I know just as a warning, we will not be talking about the movie Cats, which you've experienced and you do not wish to discuss. I saw it in theaters with, with everybody, with you and all of our friends, mm-hmm. and the experience was once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. It was a heck of an experience, uh, and that was it. I don't, I don't ever want to see that movie again. Yeah. See, I feel that way about fun. things like Old Boy that really scar me. But the I was remake? like, glad I saw. No, well, yeah, I, I, I did see that too. But the original one, where I'm just like, it was too traumatizing. But g- good on, good on you for doing it. I'm transformed. Never need to go back. Yeah, there, there. I have other movies like that, so I understand. Yeah, it's and it was Cats was fun. The music was interesting. It was an interesting movie mm-hmm. to experience. So yeah, well, good. So. Is Rick any of, like, the cats and cats? Well, everybody said that, uh, I believe it was Skimble Shanks, the train conductor. Uh-huh. Everybody said that Rick was that character. I can see that. Because I think he was orange. I think he's yeah, orange he was cat. orange. Yeah. Um, does Rick like things to go smoothly and keeps trains on time? That, I don't know. I know he's got a schedule, because when I don't feed him at the right time, he comes in and lets me know, so... Okay. Well, yeah. Tell me what Rick is like. What's his personality like? And what does he look like? We know he's an orange cat. Yeah. So he's an orange. He's an orange cat. Um, his personality. He's very loving. He headbutts everything. If you start petting him, he'll headbutt you or headbutt the wall. He just loves everything. So he's a very lovable cat. Mm-hmm. He likes to steal my chair when I get up from working. Um, like he'll just he'll he'll be laying. I have a little cat tower next to me that uh, he sits mm-hmm. in. And then when I get up to go do something and come back, he'll just be sitting in my spot. Like, he knows how to get my attention, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he was an interesting... Like, I, I can tell you how I found him and all that stuff if you want to go yeah, there. Yeah, it's a, it's a really special story about how you got him. I've heard it, but yeah, I feel like people would really enjoy that. Um, so in... I'm looking at my phone because I put it in... I put the info in my phone. I found him on June 12th, 2013. I was at work, um, and one of my managers came in and said, hey, there's a box of kittens that was left uh, out of the dumpster behind where we work, and they got five of the cats, but they lost the sixth cat. They can't find it, so she wanted me to go help her find him. So I was like, sure, I'll just go. I'll go help you try to find this cat. And so I, I did. I, I we, we walked back uh, behind work, and 
it was one of those crazy things where like the first place I checked, I found him and he was he could fit in the palm of your hand. Mm. Um, he was basically stuck in these thick bushes and I had to like peel away the bushes because I heard him. I heard him crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I peeled back the bushes and saw him, he was he I, God, I don't even really know how old he was. He was tiny as hell. And his both of his eyes were glued shut because they oh. were infected. So he couldn't see anything. So he was just crying. And so I told my manager to go get get a box and get me some gloves. Um, so I pulled Rick out. He was completely he was stuck in there. He could he was going to die. Mm. Uh, I pulled him out of the bushes. We put him in this little mailbox. Um, it was like a U.S. mail mm-hmm. carrier box or something. So we put him in that and we walked to my car and my car keys were inside. So I told uh, my manager to go grab my car keys. We'll take him to the vet. And I had been petting Rick on the head with the gloves. And when I set him down on the ground to talk to my manager, he had uh, he had like climbed up on on the side. Like he was trying to climb up on the side of the box. And I looked down at him, and he opened up one of his eyes to see like where I was and why I wasn't petting him. And I was like, shit, I might have to keep this cat. Oh. And at the time, I had a cat already. Her name is Jasmine. Um, she lived with me. She's she does not get along with other cats in the house. Um, mm-hmm. She's a one cat household. I don't know if you've ever had two cats that don't get along. Yeah, yeah. We had yeah. Uh, one cat when I was like really young, and then we sort of picked up a couple over the course of uh, a couple of years of just like neighborhood cat and like cat that needed adopting, and she didn't really oh, yeah. get along with them that well. It was a little tense. Uh, yeah, that's such a bummer because, man, I, I've never had two cats that like each other. Oh, so I, I, and because like I would love for you know Rick to have a buddy, but mm-hmm. every cat that Rick meets, they don't like him, and I don't understand why. I th- my sister's cat Dexter, they they get along, mm-hmm. uh, but well, they're they're wrong. I mean, just spend more time with him. Got I know he's just Rick's just a curious cat. So if there's another cat around, he'll follow the other one and see what he's doing at all times Mm -hmm. so i can see how that can get a little annoying he's a little clingy i mean no toast is the definition of clingy i feel like maybe maybe (laughs) they might get along (laughs) that would be uh, yeah that would be interesting toast and toast and rick um so yeah we we took rick to the vet and uh we didn't have a name for him so my coworker was like oh let's let's name him ricky or let's name him rick and i was like all right i at that point i wasn't sure that i was keeping him so i was like Mm -hmm. yeah sure his name is rick so the vet came in was like what's his name it's rick uh, and they're like, well, thank you for bringing him in. He looks in really bad condition. And then basically was like, listen, I'm going to be totally honest with you. He's got a fever. He's got fleas. Like he had so much wrong with him. Aww. So they they told me before I left, they're like, we'll call you if he s- survives, essentially. <sighs> if he makes it, we'll call you. And so I was like, all right, I'll go home. And I, or I went back to work and I just couldn't stop thinking about this cat. And I was like, I hope that he lives because I think I love him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ended up making it. Uh, I did do a lot of like maintenance. I had to take care of him. I had to mm-hmm. feed him a bunch of medicine and stuff. But he pulled through and he grew up with Jasmine. And so Jasmine kind of instilled fear into him, which I, oh. I, I don't like. Yeah. So Rick's a little skittish. But. And I wish he I wish Rick would cuddle. He doesn't he's not a cuddly cat. Is is mm. Toast cuddly? Toast is very cuddly, but on the flip side, he doesn't like laps, doesn't know how to do that. And yeah. uh he only he like won't purr when pet, even though I think he likes it, but he'll only purr like when he's like self initiated cuddling like right next to you. 
Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Rick's not a lap cat either. He doesn't know how to do it. Oh. And we wish we wish he would. But like the only time I can get Rick to lay on me is if I'm laying in bed and I have a body pillow on top of me. Uh-huh. He'll jump up on me and lay on the body pillow that's on me. And that's like the closest we've got to. <laughs> oh, he's, he's like meeting you halfway. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's really cute. Um, throughout the years, uh, when I moved in with Beth, we would take treats and we would throw them. And then we would tell Rick, good boy. We would say, good boy. And eventually we would hold up a treat and we would say, Ricky speak. And then he would do like meow, meow. He would do this certain type of meow that mimicked our good boy. Mm. And so then we got him to speak on command. And now we got him to high five on command and also headbutt on command and sit also. He knows how to sit too, which is really cool. So we're teaching him tricks. He's a smart kitty. Yeah, he's so smart. I'm I'm always so impressed when I see it work in person. The headbutt is is so cute and also the times when like you've uh had up on one wall like these sort of levels oh yeah um with uh something for like him to step on and he can just like run up the mall and get the treats and then yeah. like, run down he's a smart cat yeah and if, if you're interested in the uh those the cat wall stuff uh it's a company it's actually based in michigan ah. uh called catastrophic creations and yeah you can get like little beds that hang off the wall that you can have you know your cats go up and hang out and it's cool. It's cute. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's been with you for like for a while, for so many life changes. Were you mm. seeing Beth by the time you got him? No, I wasn't. Beth and I were not together. Wow. I think I actually met Beth the following month because mm-hmm. we started dating in 2014. So yeah, I would have met Beth around the same time I found Rick. So I was, yeah, I was living by myself in an apartment in Santa Monica with Jazz and Rick for a couple of years. How did yeah. he adjust to uh, when you and Beth moved in together? Because um, oh. I, I mean, a new person, but also, you know, new birds, which she has. Yeah, so we had two birds at that point. Uh, Beth had Garrus and Pidgey. Um, so when we, when Beth and I moved in together, Rick, <laughs> Rick would spend most of the day under blankets on our bed like he would sleep under blankets on our bed because we assumed that he was scared and didn't like the new place he was in Mm -hmm. but eventually he got used to it uh what he didn't like was the floors were all um either wood or tile so he would slip and slide everywhere so he didn't like so he loved our carpet that we had in the living room where he could just play and not slip around and then when we moved into our current apartment, we have a spiral staircase uh, that goes up to a loft. And he didn't know how to climb stairs. So he, we got to watch him learn and figure out how to go up and down stairs. And it was really cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it took, a, it took Rick a little bit of time to get used to Beth. Because um, like when we first moved in together, Beth was bummed because Rick only paid attention to me and would only mm-hmm. like headbutt me and, and meow at me and stuff. But... Um, after living together for so long and the trick is I, I truly think the trick is feeding uh, like when Beth started feeding him and also when Beth started giving him treats oh. he like warmed up and was like oh okay you're cool too I like you and so now he, I think he he still loves me the most uh-huh. but he likes to give Beth attention as well which is nice yeah good we uh, Beth ended up getting rid of um, one of her birds Pidgey uh, because it wasn't a good situation for the two birds they weren't getting along um rick got along he i i guess i don't know the best way to say he got along with the birds like he 
the birds will be out like garris will be out and rick will want to play and so he'll like he'll do this thing because we told him no when he goes after the bird he'll do this thing now where he'll kind of start chirping like rick will like make some cat chirp noises and then kind of tip over and fall on his side and then stretch (laughs) out his paws to be like i really want to play with you but i can't (laughs) and i think that's really cute yeah that's so funny the way he like responds by sort of mimicking the voice that's so smart yeah it's it's pretty cool he he's a smart cat but he's also dumb like i don't (laughs) know why he headbutts the wall and i hate when he does it because he like he really headbutts the wall and it, oh, no. it sounds like it hurts. I'm like, buddy, don't do that. <laughs> just to, Why just, are you giving the wall Yeah, attention? outwardly showing your affection, but a headbutt is a true, is taking that pretty far. Yeah, that's, that's so strange. Cats are, cats are interesting creatures. <laughs> yeah, there's endless entertainment and curiosity with them. For sure. Yeah, we um, we had a bunch of fire alarms go off uh, a couple months ago, and it was pretty traumatic because it was like every four hours, it seemed like it would go off. And every time I would have to grab Rick and grab Garrus the bird, put them in their respective cages oh. and take them downstairs. Yeah. And so we recently, our uh, carbon monoxide sensors have been going off. And it only, the like the first time it happened, um, I immediately went to it and took it off the wall and took out the batteries. But Rick was... He was so scared. He ended up like push. He he put himself in the corner of our office behind Beth's computer and under her desk. He was like so scared. He was so traumatized, and I, we felt bad. We're like, buddy, Aww. it's okay, but he doesn't know that. You know, he just hears the loud noise and is like, I'm. This is loud. I'm going to be scared. Yeah. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Is Toast He's... afraid of loud noises or anything? Yeah, he's afraid of the vacuum. Um, okay, whenever yep. I run that and he's yeah. he, and he'll sort of like sit up if there's a particularly loud car sound because we're like decently close to the highway um, okay so so like once in a while there'll be a sound from there if the windows open and he's he doesn't know what to do about that and I sort of just like have to like calm him down <laughs> oh yeah everything every time I've seen toast he seems super chill like he's like a really relaxed just like hi everybody he's cool. yeah <laughs> Yeah, he being being around him more since being at home, uh, I feel like I just like appreciate him. Or, like we understand each other more, we appreciate each other more. Uh, but yeah. also, I'm just like you sleep all the time. Do you do you need <laughs> like are you all right? Uh, I think he's yeah, a little bit nocturnal though. I think he's more active at night. More active at night, sure. Yeah, because I think because Rick has been doing the same thing where he sleeps all day, but he'll get up around seven ish which is when i usually come home mm. um and so beth before the the virus and we had to be locked down beth would send me texts and videos of rick coming into the office at 8 p.m because i wasn't home yet uh-huh. and just standing there and just meowing at beth like <laughs> where is he he's not home yet and it just always breaks my heart and now that now that we're home 24 7 he like wants to play more he wants to be around me more it's just really cute so kind of like what you're saying where we we have like more not respect but like we appreciate each other's company more and it's it's special it's cool yeah it's one really nice thing to come out of this more pet time yeah exactly yeah i'm very thrilled for that because there will be days when i would come home from work and be like man i miss you so much i just wanted to hang out with you and now i'm just we're hanging out all the time yeah, yeah. I didn't used to. I mean, so I, I've got like cats that I grew up with who are in Michigan now with my parents, and being this like far away from them, I've like missed them. But I d- had an experience in 
like a long time stuff from like childhood cats of feeling like going to work and like being away from your pet and being like, oh, I miss them. And like now when mm-hmm. I was going to work, I did feel that. And that's that's a nice thing to have. Around. Yeah, it really is. Just want to come home and pet, pet my bud. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for talking about Rick, Mike. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anytime. You can see photos of Rick on our Twitter and Instagram at Ineffable Cats. And of course, follow Mike on Instagram at Fresh Pancakes and his wife, Beth, at Beth B. Rad, who also performs on D&D and and frequently shows off Rick. Those links are in our show notes. If you'd like to chat with me about your cat on the show, and if you like what you heard today, please tweet about the show, tag us, and include a picture of your cat. And if you like the show, please subscribe. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts where Toast would like to know what you're doing to take care of yourself these days. <coughs> Toast says our original music is by Jeremy Nasato and our show art is by Tyler Donnelly. Toast, I know Victoria never got a jellical name, but what would yours be? <coughs> Kristen Stewart? No, Toast, that's already taken. <coughs> Banjo-Kazooie is a video game. <coughs> Hot Priest? Hot priest. Toast. See you next time.